I was reading about Craig Stanfill, who's a computer scientist and a software engineer. He's got a new book out called Terms of Service, and it was described as not your typical sci-fi book, but but listen to this. Start with 1984, add in a healthy dose of Brave New World and Fahrenheit 451, stir in a bit of The Matrix and Blade Runner, and you have Terms of Service. Craig Stanfield joins us. Craig, with a description like that, I'm in. I got to get your book. How you doing? I'm doing great, and thank you for having me on your show. My pleasure. This sounds like a real provocative exploration, and I know there's so much I want to talk to you about, artificial intelligence and, and big tech, but, but tell us first of all about the book, because I haven't got my hands on it yet. I can't wait to crack it open. Describe terms of service for people who want to learn about it, know about it. The book is set in a theoretical future, 250 years from now. Uh, I put it that far in the future to sort of bypass whatever our current contemporary issues may be and look at things more abstractly. It posits that there are big corporations, corporate monopolies that pretty much run the economy and pretty much run the world, sort of corporate government. Uh, And that flows from this notion that these companies can set their terms of service however they want. So uh, if you want housing, you have to go to the housing company and you have to sign their terms of service. If you want food, you have to go to the food company and you have to sign their terms of service that, of course, you cede all your power to these companies. You sure and that's that 255? The, you sure that's 250 years out? That sounds like 2021 to me. I get a lot of that, and <laughs> uh, of course, there's. Uh, it's obviously written in, uh, in, you know, with awareness of what's going on with big tech. And the sort of the theme is: if you think it's bad now, it could get a lot worse, and it is getting worse. The other thing I've added into this is uh, artificial intelligence, which is something that people need to understand the implications. You know, Facebook has 2 billion customers and I think 15,000 content moderators. And so obviously their moderators can't really keep an eye on uh, their customer base and uh, make them toe the line. So what they do is they use artificial intelligence as a uh, force multiplier and Big Brother never had it so good, to, you know, to put it bluntly. The moderators at Facebook can't look at everyone all the time, but the AIs can. And in, Bra- in, in uh, 1984, Big Brother couldn't watch everyone all the time, but now the AIs can. And people need to understand that the combination of sur- omnipresent surveillance, such as we get from big tech these days, and unlimited ability to uh, set their own terms of service And then when you add on the force multiplier of artificial intelligence, uh, you end up with sort of the perfection of the totalitarian state, the perfection of the totalitarian AI AI surveillance state, as I put it. And that's not a future that we want to go to. And I think we need to be aware of just how far this technology could take us down that road uh, so that we don't end up there. Well, no, there's there's just no question that this is this is prescient, and I want to talk about what we experience today and your understanding of it. I know this is purely anecdotal, but I can speak from personal experience. My family, my friends. If I if I right now threw out a question on air and said, "How many times have you had a conversation about a product or a company?" and then moments later or hours later that product or company pops up on your computer or on your cell phone. I mean, Craig, this happens all the time. And I, I've, I've, there have been moments where I'm like, I know I had not even done a Google search. I haven't gone onto the computer. And you get this sinking suspicion, this sense of dread that there really is a big brother Orwellian 1984 component at play not 250 years from now, but right now. Are, are we crazy to suspect that something like this is actually happening now? Isn't it true that they have now the, the ability to capture phrases or words and put it up as a marketing tool on your computer or on your smartphone? I mean, absolutely. They do, I believe, look at everything you say. I did an experiment. I'm a computer scientist, so I'm one of these guys that does science and experiments. I'm, I just wanted to see what would happen. I put up a meme on my Facebook page that said, basically, this 
meme has nothing to do with COVID-19. I'm just trying to find out if the bots are watching me. <laughs> and sure enough, people who shared that posting started getting a pop-up saying that this posting talks about COVID-19 and, you know, all the usual, you know, we've all seen that disclaimer from uh, Facebook. And uh, yeah, so I, every photo that you put up, I believe, uh, is scanned by their AIs and they're looking for things with, in this case, COVID-19 content. Sure. But they've already declared that, for example, anybody who supported Donald Trump in the election is an enemy of the people. And certainly they ought to be looking for enemies of the people. And anybody who, for example, thinks that there are two biological genders uh, is going to be accused of you know, divisive hate speech. And they can be looking for that, too. And anything that they don't want you to say, they have the capability of scanning your photos, looking for them. Maybe, you know, maybe you went to a Trump rally. They, they, they can spot that in your photos. Maybe you own a firearm. They can spot you in, that in those photos. And then they can take action based on that uh, of, of various sorts. And uh, they may ban you. They may control who can see what you say. And we really have to ask ourselves, should we let them do this? Now, in my book, I painted a picture of where this is going. And it's not in a pretty place. Right. No, it's not. Uh, the, the book is Terms of Service. We're with the author, Craig Stanfill. You can order the book, craigwstanfill.com, craigwstanfill.com, uh, and click the Terms of Service at the top of the page to find the links to be able to buy the book. You know, Craig, we talk sometimes in hypotheticals or, or, or suppositions or fears we have about, as you put it, the AIs and about their ability to monitor us. But, but let's talk for a moment about the, the flat-out, blatant, transparent censorship we've witnessed in the last year or two. We know for a fact that Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, they were literally censoring people who, for example, um, uh, suggested that the Wuhan, that, that the Wuhan lab uh, leaked the, this virus. And people that were saying that for a period of time online, they were shut down. That was that was misinformation. That was disinformation. Now, of course, more and more evidence points to the Wuhan Institute of Virology leaking that lab, whether inadvertently or inadvertently. I guess they're not blocking people now, but we watched this happen, Craig. This is not hypothetical. We've seen blatant. This is black and white. We've we've witnessed the censorship right under our noses. Oh, I've been censored myself on a frequent basis. I don't know a single conservative friend of mine who hasn't been censored on a regular basis. I've known any number of people who have been put in Facebook jail or whatever on for little or no reason. Uh, sometimes you hear of somebody who was uh, banned from their account, quote unquote, by mistake. And I, I want to think about that a little bit. Uh, for example, there was, I think, a Gold Star mother uh, recently reacting to the, you know, the outrages of the failed Biden policy in Afghanistan. And apparently her, I can't remember whether it was her Facebook page or Instagram page, but she got shut down and with no explanation. Right. And then they reinstated her in saying, well, this was a mistake. Well, I don't have any proof, but my suspicion is that it was an AI that made that mistake, because what I think is going on is they've got AIs that are looking at your feeds and looking for certain things. And uh, if they see those things, then they will preemptively ban you or preemptively shut you down. Uh, and then maybe you, and then if you complain, they may have a human look at it and, and put you back up. But, you know, again, with 15,000 moderators and 2 billion people, they can't do their censoring by themselves, so they have to have their uh, AI henchmen do it for you. Now, AI technology is just great. It does a lot of wonderful things. I'm, I'm not against AI technology. You know, the ability to convert speech to English is wonderful. The ability to translate language to language is wonderful. Uh, Self-driving cars hold out the possibility of improvements in highway safety and things like that. So I'm, I'm not against the proper use of AI, but... When they start using AI to control what I can see 
in my Facebook account or Twitter account, and they start using AI to control what I can say. That is crossing a line to me, and it is leading in the direction of a Big Brother-style information totalitarian society where the control of information is used to control what people see. You control what people see and what they know. You control how they think. You control how they think. You control how they vote. Bingo, you stay in power. You know, you, you talk about conservative figures and, and, and individuals uh, being censored or shut down by big tech. It happened to us. And I'm a, a pretty mainstream conservative radio host. I'm right of center, but I, I, I'm not one of the, one of the flamethrowers that's always in trouble. I played a video clip from Fox News of a, of a mom at a school board meeting a number of months ago railing against the mask mandates. And all I did was play the clip. All we did, it was about a three-minute segment. YouTube shut us down based on what they said was medical misinformation. And, you know, my team appealed uh, repeatedly. Nope, they never backed down. We were we were given the one-strike or two-strike thing or whatever. I, I know colleagues of mine, I think Seb Gorka has been permanently banned from YouTube. Those things are real. And, of course, our views represent millions and millions of Americans that, that you know, that, that this machine, I call it the beast, wants to shut down. So, Craig Stanfield, you talk about standing up to it all. What does that look like from your perspective? What does it look like for Americans to stand up to this monolith, to this gigantic, again, I call it the beast, the machine, whatever word you want to use, what does it look like for us to to try to get our freedom back? Well, unfortunately, the individual is powerless here. Uh, the way I like to think about the current state of the Internet, it's like sort of in the, I guess, 18th century and before in Europe, uh, much of the 19th century. The Internet, you can really think of it as a bunch of kingdoms. So you've got the kingdom of Facebook, you've got the kingdom of Twitter, you've got the kingdom of YouTube. And each of those is ruled by a king, you know, a CEO or whoever runs it. And it's just like back in the bad old days. The king can say, off with your head. The king can send you off into exile. The king can say, silence, nay. The king can seize printing presses and have them smashed. The king can have you arrested. And... Um, I thought we were done with kings. And I think that the individual has no power against these kings. They have all the power. You have no rights. It's the same as we did, you know, back before the American Revolution. And I think that the only way we are going to get our freedom back is by some sort of legislation or lawsuits that put restrictions on what these information monopolies can do. And, you know, down with the king. Right. And not only that, but we have the power at the polls. And of course, there's all kinds of questions about election integrity, as we, as you know. But ultimately, uh, you know, one of my colleagues wrote a book years ago. Uh, if it isn't close, they can't cheat. We've got to flood the ballot box. We've got to flood the polls. We've got to elect politicians who are willing to stand up against, as you put it, the king of the kings. I can't wait to read your book, Terms of Service. I hope everybody gets it. Craig Stanfill, thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, again, you can go to craigwstanfill.com to order Craig's book. Thank you, Craig, for your voice, for your perspective, and joining us here on the Mike Gallagher Show. Keep fighting the good fight. Absolutely, and thank you for having me on. So much is coming at us, uh, fast and furious, as they say. Heather McDonald is one of those voices that is a reliable, uh, thankfully, a voice of clarity. She's the author of The War on Cops, uh, political commentator, essayist, attorney, author, and every chance I, I get to talk to Heather McDonald, I like to uh, I, I like to catch up with her. You know, Heather, one of the things challenges we have is that with Afghanistan blowing up, the Biden administration imploding, uh, COVID everywhere, the COVID story, the vaccination, the masks, the all, all of the stuff that Americans are, are faced with. I, I was thinking the other day, we still have America's police officers who are expected to try to be that, that thin blue line that, that are on the streets trying to keep Americans safe. It is a heavy order. I'm worried that this war on cops that you so brilliantly wrote about 
is sort of in the on the back burner right now with all these other headlines, and we're forgetting the utter assault that America's police officers and the police community continues to experience. Well, absolutely, Mike. Uh, and I think, you know, our death toll from this insane drive-by shootings is still far, far higher than anything you're seeing in Afghanistan or Kabul. Uh, but it's off the radar screen. Americans don't really pay attention to it. And cops are, are being assaulted at a record rate. There was a 91% increase in ambush assaults on officers in the year following the George Floyd riots. Uh, we saw this this last week a police officer in Chicago fatally shot in the head during a car stop. Her, her partner is in critical condition with bullets through his skull and, and lungs. Uh, and what the, the narrative that the Biden administration embraced and that Joe Biden embraced as a presidential candidate that says that uh, black people are right to be afraid that their children will be killed by a cop every time they step outside, a narrative that is utterly deceptive, false, and dangerous and deplorable, uh, has created this hostility against cops in the streets. So people are resisting arrest at greater rates, and that that itself leads to officer use of force, and so you have a, a vicious cycle put in place. A lot of these stories, though, seem to transcend political ideologies. Let me give you an example. I, I've often uh, cited Senator Tim Scott, who is a South Carolina senator, conservative guy, African-American, uh, great life story, and he has shared how many times he's been stopped for driving while black, as the expression goes, that he's been targeted because of the color of his skin. He's uh, he's no Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, so when a, when a black politician like Tim Scott sort of injects that, that perspective into this national dialogue, what does a voice like Heather McDonald say? I say I would need to know the individual circumstances of each traffic stop uh, Senator Scott has experienced. And it may well be that he was pulled over for his race. But I can tell you this, Mike. I've spoken to a lot of black cops. And they tell me that if they pull over a black driver, the first thing out of that driver's mouth is, you only stop me because I'm black. And the cop says, no, I stopped you because you were speeding or you ran a red light. Heather McDonald studies data. And I want to talk about the data that refutes the narrative that blacks, uh, unarmed black Americans are in peril of being gunned down by, by America's police officers every day. I have callers who've told me that. I have had listeners who say that. What What does the data say about that narrative? It's a preposterous narrative. The percentage of blacks, unar- allegedly unarmed blacks, who are killed by the cops is a minute fraction. It's about 0.1 to 0.2 percent of all blacks killed of homicide each year. Last year, and, and I say allegedly unarmed because... This data comes from the Washington Post database of fatal police killings. The Washington Post defines unarmed as broadly as possible to try and get as many people into that category as possible. So if you're trying to grab an officer's gun, you're unarmed. If you're, if you're fleeing in a stolen car with a loaded semiotic in the seat next to you, you're unarmed. Uh, last year, there were 18 un- allegedly unarmed blacks killed, and again, a lot of these people were still posing a threat to the officer. 18. We don't know yet the final death toll from 2020, which was the largest one-year increase in homicide in recorded history, thanks to officers backing off, thanks to this phony narrative about policing. Those 18 allegedly unarmed black victims of police killings represent likely about 1% of what we're, we're likely to see about 10,000 blacks killed last year, more than all whites and Hispanics combined. That 18, let's put that into the context. You, you started our conversation, Mike, with attacks on officers. So far this year, there's been a little under 50 police officers fatally shot out of a force nationally of about 675,000. There's 40 million blacks. So compare 18 unarmed, allegedly unarmed blacks out of a population of 40 million. 
to 47 cops shot just in the first half of this year out of about 675,000 police officers. Here's, here's something else we know, Mike. Uh, black males have traditionally made up about 40 to 42 percent of all cop killers, though they're about five percent of the nation's population. A police officer is anywhere between 18 and a half to 30 times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a cop. Wow. So this narrative is is completely upside down. It's not only upside down, but it's a bald-faced lie. But the kind of data that you've shared with us and, and your perspective is never touched by the mainstream media. In fact, it's heresy to the left. What does the left, if you don't mind me asking you to pull back the curtain a little bit, what does the mainstream media, what do activists and progressives on the left say and do about Heather McDonald? Because they must be very offended by your, your, your mere presence. Well, they do think that the crime is a racist fiction. And, you know, I've been doxxed by Black Lives Matter, uh, and and they do everything they can to just call me a racist. But I get my numbers from the federal government, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, from, from uh, you know, police departments, and their data comes from the crime victims themselves who are overwhelmingly black and Hispanic. Uh, so they just turn their eyes away. What I say to them is they're the most racist bunch of people we can imagine because the, 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 this Black Lives Matter movement is a complete fraud. They don't give a damn about black lives. There were at least 50 black children killed last year in drive-by shootings, killed in their beds, killed in their front yards, killed at barbecues, killed in cars with their parents. None of them killed by a cop. All of them killed by black gangbangers, none of them were protested by Black Lives Matter activists. The carnage is worse this year. We have nine-month-old babies that are getting shot in the head. It is simply astounding. The media turns its eyes away. If these were white kids getting shot, there would be a national revolution. Nobody would put up with it. But, but if it's black kids being shot by other blacks, the nation turns its eyes away because it is terrified to confront head-on the social breakdown in the black community. Uh, the elites are terrified that that, that it, academic achievement gap, the behavior gap, is never going to close. And so they're, they're working out proleptically the only allowable explanation, which is white racism. You know, you make me think when you talk about the, the, the fear to tackle the, the societal evolutions and the problems and the origins of, of what we're up against makes me think of my friend and colleague Larry Elder. Here's a black conservative who may very well be the next governor of the state of California because he has the audacity to cite you often. I've heard him cite your your work. He and I have spoken about your work before and Larry is like that unicorn. He's like that black Californian who says this this whole narrative is a lie and it, it, it may, it's going to be a an epic watershed moment if it happens, Heather McDonald, but it may be enough to propel Larry into the governor's office. It would be the greatest thing that could happen, not just for California, but for this country, uh, because this is a man who is fearless, uh, who is not going to back down. I wish I felt I had the time right now to back him up on his claims about women not knowing as much politically. That is obvious. It is it is indisputable. Uh, they do not write letters to the editor. Wikipedia is a, is a blind editing process. Wikipedia is about 90% male editors. There's no gatekeepers. There's nobody keeping women out. They are simply not as involved in public affairs on average. I'm not talking about any individual. He is absolutely committed to the truth, and and he would be the one to be able to stand down uh, at at, at the phony charges of racism that have had every other leader in this country groveling on their knees, selling out American institutions right and left, accusing their own employees of racism, when in fact the reason that we do not have proportional representation at Google, at, at elite law firms, at, at, you know, on, on, at Caltech's, uh, physics department or MIT's mathematics department, the reason we don't have proportional representation is not 
racism. It is the academic skills gap. It is the fact that the average black 12th grader reads at the level of the average white 8th grader, and that, nev that never changes. And, and so unless we can close that academic achievement gap or unless, unless the community itself rallies together and says we are going to prioritize learning, discipline, hard work, uh, those gaps are going to continue, but we should not blame American white supremacy because that's a fiction. You mentioned the word fearless. Uh, the word fearless comes to mind uh, for Heather, Heather McDonald. Everyone should read The War on Cops, your fine, fine book. Heather, thanks for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us here on The Mike Gallagher Show. Keep fighting the good fight. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. How do you defend your opinion as a white, well-off, religious man? Um, how do you defend your, ha like, telling a woman what she can do with because her body? Because evil and things are still evil, even if I'm a white, well-off, religious man. And good things are still good, even if I'm a white, well-off, religious man. This is one of these identity politics points that I really, uh, I, mean, I, I don't mean to come down harshly on you, I don't. Uh, but it, it is a point that I really have serious moral qualms with. I, I think it's quite quite terrible. The reason being that the people who were fighting against enslavement of black people were a bunch of well-off white men for the most part. Right? And those people were saying, this is a moral sin. This is a moral blot. They weren't living in the South. They didn't own plantations. They didn't live the lives of the plantation owners. They said, this is evil and we are here to stop it. Right? When you see something that you think is morally wrong happening, especially when you're talking about the taking of a human life, like listen, I think that, uh, I think that you shouldn't go around randomly killing homeless people. I just have this view. I'm not a homeless person. Most of the people who randomly kill homeless people are probably not of my economic strata, my religious view, or my, uh, I don't know whether they're of my skin color or not. I have no idea what the, what the actual sociological breakdown of homeless killer serial murderers is. But, uh, but I would suggest that my identity has nothing to do with what is right or wrong. And this is what Western civilization used to be about. Western civilization used to be about the idea that, yes, I'm not a woman in the healthcare field. But you and I can have a conversation about what's right and wrong because this is the nature of human reason. The nature of human reason, the nature of right and wrong, is that you and I can talk about what's right and wrong and that I don't retreat into my identity. If we can all retreat into our identity and our morality is now centered around that identity, morality doesn't exist at all. We break down into a society of fragmented atoms where I can't even say, like, you're torturing a puppy in your backyard. I have nothing to say about that. I'm not a white woman who's in the healthcare field. I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't, I, I refuse to surrender the idea that I can have a moral stance on issues that are of concern to society and of concern to the, to the well-being of the United States simply because of the color of my skin or the nature of my genitalia. And honestly, I believe any view that feels differently is sexist, racist, and bigoted. So I have um, an issue with your stance on abortion. Okay. Right? So you define life as starting at conception through biology pretty, right. pretty much. But I think you take the stance that life is intrinsically valuable because it's life. And that's where I disagree. I think there's two things that make life valuable. I think consciousness, the ability to experience pain, senses and stuff like that, and personal identity. In particular, uh, psychological continuity identity. So the fact that we have memories, we have relationships, people have relationships to us. I think those are Do you two need both of those or is it neither or? I just want to um, clarify your position. Either or. Okay, so if it's either or, then people with Alzheimer's have real continuity problems, you can't kill them. No, because people still have um, relationships with them, though, right? So, like, just because well, you have, like... I mean, you have a relationship with them, but with people with advanced stage Alzheimer's, they really don't have a relationship Okay, but with for the sake of example, like, let's say someone dies, right? The family gets to decide what you do with the body. Because I know what you say. When, it, when you say someone says, oh, it's just consciousness, and then they're brain dead, you say, well, can you stab them? No, you can't. Because that's the family's decision what to do with the body. It's the person's decision what they so want to do. So if the family the decides to stab them, it's okay to stab the, the When they're brain dead? Yeah, if they want to no, pull not, them. No, not, not brain dead. Let's say that you're comatose for a, for a specifically and predictably short period of time. Say nine months. Say nine, well, what, what is the person? <laughs> okay, yeah. No, 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 no. I saw. So, so I would say uh, on the, the legal grounds, it would depend if the, what the person put in their will. If the person has made clear statements like, hey, don't pull the plug on nine months, then don't do that. Because I think the first choice is... Right, but let's say the person has not made such clear statements. Say the person can't make such clear statements. So that, and he's just in a complete coma? The, the, let's say the person has not drawn up a living will or had conversations like this. They so go into, they're in a car crash. They get so in a coma. Say, you know that in nine months they're going to come out of the coma and they're going to be fine. Are you allowed to stab? Is so wait, the family so saying, you know the, what? So These nine months, fine. stab the dude. Wait, so they're let's fine. So the they're going to get their memories back? Um, let's say they don't get their memories back. Then I would say then that person is dead. And yeah, if the family wants to pull the plug, that's fine. <laughs> I would have no okay. problem with that. Yeah. No, I would have no problem with that. 
Because that, like, because that, per like, that person is dead. You're getting dead. some dicey territory, dude. No, I think that person is dead. <laughs> right? And the, that's the best way to define life, is personal identity and consciousness. That's what makes life valuable. Right, so I think that, again, if you were to say both, that's too much. And if you were even to say either, I don't think either one of those legs stands on its own. Okay, because what you really mean, th this is the thing about having a baby. It's a process of development. Right? And this is the point that I'm making. There's yeah. a period in this human life when that child does not have, or fetus or embryo, whatever you want to call it, when this living thing does not have consciousness and does not have a sense of identity. But in nine months, it will have consciousness. Well, and even then, by, like the way, by the way, babies, babies don't have a sense of identity for at, least, for, for at least a certain number of months after they're born. And when uh, they um, eat babies, this, the babies can uh, recognize their parents' voices after they're born. That's not a sense of identity. Rats can No, no, identify. no, I would say it is. Because it, it, it's, no, it's a form of memory, though. Right? And that's what I was uh, using. So are, so are you a Jainist? Because animals also have consciousness. No, yeah, no, I would identity. say that killing animals is wrong. You have no problem with that. So just to get this straight... Killing, killing Fluffy the hamster, deeply wrong. <laughs> killing a dude who wakes up from a who's going to wake up from a coma in nine months with memory problems, totally cool. Okay, okay I mean... <laughs> okay, I mean, that's fine, you can have that position, I'm just not going to put you in charge of the NHS. <laughs> How can you honestly stand up here and say that you support abortion, you support government intervention, excuse me, you support government intervention to uh, make abortion illegal, which is designed to kill someone, and yet you can stand up here and say you don't want government intervention for guns, which are also designed to kill people. Because guns are not designed to kill children. Guns are designed to kill bad guys if operated by a proper person. There's not an abortion in the world that doesn't end with the death of a baby. So, I, so, honestly, the reason, so I have, I have, so I, ha, I have no problem with looking at the pictures of gun violence victims other than the problems any other human being left or right would have with looking at those pictures, which is that they're horrific and deeply disturbing and very upsetting. But I don't feel any sense of guilt or avoidance. Like, I can't look at this picture because I bear some sort of responsibility for this. It is impossible not to look at a picture of an aborted baby and say this was disconnected from the act that I approve. Because the act is the killing of the baby. There is no, there is no policy that I approve of that ends with the murder of children. Okay? There is a policy that is designed for the murder of children, which is what abortion is. Okay, so, but if all people, right, you said that um, once the cells come together, you said those are considered people, which I can understand. I can get No, I said that's that. considered a human life. A human life, right. Yes. Why is this human life being killed and another human life being killed by gun violence, why is that any different? Again, it's not a matter of the, the value of the human life being different. It's, it's equally as evil and, and tragic and horrific and disgusting when people kill fully formed children who are outside the womb. My point is that the act that connects to the killing of the children is not connected to my position on guns. The act that connects to the killing of unborn babies is connected to the legalization of abortion. The reason that I want people to be able to exercise their Second Amendment rights is to shoot pieces of sh <laughs> like the people who go into like the people who go into schools and, and shoot up children. Right? Both my, uh, I have two kids. They both go to a Jewish school, which means they are on the target list for somebody out there. Right? Jewish, schools, Jewish schools are disproportionately targeted, unfortunately, in the United States. I went to a Jewish school when I was in high school. There were bomb threats legitimately every couple of months. Uh, there, in 1999, there was a white supremacist who drove by our Jewish day school, saw an armed guard outside, proceeded to drive away, went to the West Valley JCC, and shot up the West Valley JCC. The reason that I'm in favor of gun rights is because I want that armed guard outside carrying the gun to dissuade people from going inside the school and shooting the kid. The first state to legalize abortion in the case of rape princess was Colorado in 1967. Hawaii followed in 1970. We can reasonably assume that there were abortions before then. So if we went back to a world where abortion was illegal, how would we deal with the black market? How do you th what do you think positive or negative consequences would be of an increased amount of illegal abortions? And would we prosecute both the mother and the doctor? or just one, how would we handle it? So the, the answer to the question is that there's no major pro-life voice in America who advocates for prosecuting the mother. The reason that people don't advocate for prosecuting the mother is number one, because it is counterproductive because your goal is to convince women that they shouldn't abort their babies, not to threaten them with punishment. You want, to make, you want them to make the moral choice. You want to, basically, honey is going to win people over more than vinegar. But beyond that, 
I think that there is a real problem of mens rea, meaning that when you're talking about intent to commit a crime, you actually have to have an intent to commit the crime. So if I'm gonna commit homicide upon you, then I have to know that you are a human being, for example. I think that a lot of women have been made to believe for wrong reasons that what they are killing is not actually a human being, and so they lack the requisite mens rea for a homicide charge, even if you were to try and game it out legally. Mostly what people on the pro-life side have talked about is prosecuting abortion doctors who make an actual business out of, out of aborting babies. As to the increase in illegal abortions, I would assume there would be an increase in illegal abortions because all abortions would be illegal. And just logically speaking, anytime you make something illegal that occurs, there will be more illegal instances of that thing happening. And I'm sure that you know, when, when slavery was legal, uh, then you know, it was legal. That didn't make it either moral, decent, or right. Once it was made illegal, then I'm sure that everyone who was holding a slave was in violation of the law. You know, so I guess there were more illegal holdings of slaves after we made slavery illegal. But there was less absolute slavery, which is the actual goal. Illegally holding a slave doesn't kill the slave and doesn't possibly kill the mother. I don't think you want to go down the road where you're justifying slavery. I'm not justifying slavery. No, I, no, I mean, I'm, no, really, I'm not I, justifying slavery. I'm saying that, making some, that the fact that something increases when you make it illegal is... The illegal activity is, is, is the activity, de the, the, the absolute level of the activity decreases, but what's left is going to be illegal just by logical necessity. When, what's, when, what's left is e when the illegal activity that's left is very, very dangerous, that's, is that a good argument? Do you think that's a good argument or not a good argument? Yes, if I have to, let's, let's say that you make abortion illegal and there are a million abortions a year in the United States, and let's say at the high end, let's say at the high end, there are still 50,000 illegal abortions in the United States, but all the rest go to term. Okay, let's say that that's the case because it's gonna be hard to actually get an abortion if it's made illegal. Let's say there's still 50,000. You just saved 950,000 lives. That is, a, that is a massive net win, obviously. John Oliver uh, was ripping on Donald Trump uh, the other day at some awards ceremony, and because he's British, that means we're supposed to pay attention to him, even though we fought a revolution, so we wouldn't have to pay attention to the Brits. Uh, here's, here's, here's John Oliver talking about abortion. And in terms of the communication about reproductive uh, rights and the conversation, uh, that is so important. We really did potentially hit an idea in the modern era during that third debate because his discussion of late-term abortions showed no real understanding of how abortions work, no clear understanding of the basic biology of women's bodies, and a very poor sense of grammar as well. So I guess we got, in a sense, what we were asking for. If you ask Donald Trump to draw a fallopian tube, I cannot imagine what you would get back other than a child's drawing of a cobra. Okay, and I, I would hesitate to ask John Oliver to draw a fallopian tube or describe any of the biology here because he obviously doesn't know. Now, look, I criticize Trump for being ignorant about how he described abortion because he wasn't graphic enough. But let me, for those who missed it, explain what exactly happens in a late-term abortion, which is what he was talking about, okay? What happens in a late-term abortion what happens in a late-term abortion is something completely awful. This is according to AmericanPregnancy.org, okay? Not a right-wing pro-life website, AmericanPregnancy.org. Quote, the fetus is rotated. Forceps are used to grasp and pull the legs, shoulders, and arms through the birth canal. A small incision is made at the base of the skull to allow a suction catheter inside. The catheter removes the cerebral material, that would be the brains, until the skull collapses. The fetus is then completely removed. Okay, that's one procedure that's used. That's dilation and extraction. Okay, in, in late-term abortions, it's usually one of these two, dilation and evacuation or dilation and extraction. Dilation and evacuation, the baby may be given a lethal injection to kill it. Sometimes they don't use such injections. Then the doctor uses a curette or a forceps to carve up the child's body in the womb and remove it piece by piece. So I guess that Donald Trump could have been more graphic. I don't know that John Oliver would have enjoyed that, but he could have been more graphic, I suppose. But th this is what they do. They, they laugh it off. Oh, he can't draw a fallopian tube. Okay, John, draw an abortion. Really, draw it. Let's see it. I want to see you get down there with a piece of paper, and I want you to draw me what you think an abortion looks like. And it's not waving a magic wand, and it's not getting rid of a cluster of cells that mean nothing. I want you to sit there and draw what it looks like when a baby is cut into pieces and removed from the womb. I would like to see that. But of course, he'll never do that. Other than it might look like a cobra. It might look like a cobra. Maybe it'll look like a princess waving her fairy magic wand, and a unicorn emerges from the vagina. 
The fact that, that he thinks his accent covers for his basic ignorance of biology and his euphemistic willingness to ignore what amounts to child killing is absolutely ridiculous and despicable. Why exactly do you think a first trimester fetus has moral value? Okay, so a first trimester fetus has moral value because whether you consider it a potential human life or, an, or a full-on human life, it has more value than just a cluster of cells. If left to its natural processes, it will grow into a baby. So the real question is, where do you draw the line? So you can draw the line at the heartbeat because it's very hard to draw the line at the heartbeat. There are people who are adults who are alive because of a pacemaker and they need some sort of outside force generating their heartbeat. Okay, are you gonna do it based on brain function? Okay, well, what about people who are in a coma? Should we just kill them? Right, the problem is anytime you draw any line other than the inception of the child, you end up drawing a false line that can also be applied to people who are adults. So either human life has intrinsic value or it doesn't. I think we both agree that adult human life has intrinsic value. Can we start from that premise? I believe that sentience um, has, is what gives something moral value, not, okay, necessarily, so, not necessarily being a human alone. Okay, because, so, or, when you're, so when you're asleep, can I stab you? I'm still considered sentient when I'm asleep. Okay, if you are in a coma from which you may awake, can I stab you? Well then, uh, no. I'm glad you answered that because I have no interest in actually murdering you. But that's that's still potential sentience, and it's still a potential. I agree. It is potential sentience. You know what else is potential sentience? Being a fetus. The the issue with that. uh, The issue I have with that, though, is that um, in if if I'm in a coma and I'm not like doing anything to anyone, I'm not causing any issues amongst the world. Whereas an un. An unwanted child may or may not be a burden to people. Okay, well, there are be, lots of people who are unwanted, right? I mean, there are lots of people's parents who are unwanted, right? We're a bunch of college students. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the problem is that now, so now you're shifting the argument, right? Before you were making the argument based on the intrinsic value of a life based on sentience, and now you're talking about the level of burden that somebody presents as a separate moral argument, okay? I don't believe that you being a burden on somebody is justification for them killing you, as a general rule. Here's Olivia Wilde, who's the actress most famous from being in-house, uh, and, uh, and here she is talking about why she is in favor of abortion. This is one of the more disgusting videos I've ever seen. This election cycle, I'm thinking a lot about reproductive rights, everyone's right to plan when they want to have a family. And it's on my mind because I'm literally about to have a baby, like in a minute, to be able to decide exactly how. Okay, so... She says that she's thinking about reproductive rights one minute from having a baby. This is about as perverse a notion as I could possibly imagine. That as you're about to have your child, you're thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could still kill this thing? It's really imperative that I be able to, to still kill this thing. You know, here I am. Look how pregnant I am. There's a baby in here. This is my beautiful child. And I was thinking, maybe I should just kill it. You know, it's really important that women be able to kill it anytime they please. She continues along these lines, not, of course, understanding really what she's saying on a moral level how and when and why and where I want to have a baby. And I believe that is a basic human right. I care about reproductive rights. What do you care about? If you care about your future, vote for it. Okay, what I care about is not killing babies. And let me, let me, um, this is going to be mildly graphic, but this is important because I'm sick of the euphemisms, okay? It's not aborting a fetus. It's not getting rid of a ball of tissues, uh, a ball of tissue. Okay, this is this what I'm about to show you right now is a picture of a baby. Okay, this is a baby that was that was it was a it was a picture of a baby uh, that was aborted by Kermit Gosnell. Okay, this is the, the Gosnell was it was somebody who was not covered by the media uh, in any way, shape, or form. He was the most prolific serial killer probably in American history, and this was a baby girl uh, aborted by aborted by Kermit. Gosnell, uh, and he, and the only question was whether it was legal for him to kill this baby or not. And the only question there was how old was the baby, and was the abortion done inside the womb or outside the womb? Okay, so the, this baby, I believe, was after the twenty-four week cutoff, but not by much. So this this baby is. Uh, uh, let's see how how old this baby is. This is uh, a case where uh, where. They, an abortion went awry. She went to a hospital, and the baby ended up dying at the hospital. By 24 weeks, most babies born prematurely will survive. This is a, a late-term abortion, okay? This, this, this is what her baby looks like in the womb. We can see that picture again. That's what that baby looks like. This is a less graphic picture of what an abortion looks like, okay? more graphic picture of what abortion looks like involves the snipping off of the, uh, the crushing of the skull, the sucking out of the brains. It involves—and and these are fully formed children. These are fully formed children. I have two beautiful children. The idea that you get to murder a kid 
Okay, no one has a right to choose that picture. Go back to the other one. No one has a right to choose this. No one. No one has a right to choose this. You don't have a right to choose this, okay? That's a baby. You don't get to kill it just because it's convenient to you. You don't have a right to say, I, it's my decision where and when and how to have the baby. That's an individual human being. And if that baby were outside the womb and you stuck a knife through its chest, you'd be charged with first-degree murder. You kill it in the womb, and we call it a human right. That's not a human right because that's a human, and that human doesn't have any rights because you just decided its rights are less important than your right to your own convenience despicable despicable and so i want to uh, we're now going to play a game with the left let's play let's play a little game with the left the game goes like this okay show the other image the the game goes like this at which point should you be able to kill this baby okay we're going to play a game called when should you be able to kill this baby because i've been told by people like hillary clinton that you're able to kill this baby all the way up to the very end right 32 to 30 weeks Right, And that's when the baby is fully formed. It can be born alive. It is a fully formed human being. I've watched two of them come out of my wife. These are human beings. These are not balls of tissue. These are not clusters of cells. And I'm sick of being told that it's just an abortion. I don't like the euphemisms. It's not a termination of a pregnancy. It's a termination of a human life. Okay, It's a murder of a human being when you're talking about these babies and, and this idea that you get to choose that. Look, you got to choose a lot of things in life. You don't get to choose another human being's death. That's not something you get to choose. So when is it okay to kill this? When is it okay to kill this? Is it okay to kill this thing at week 14 when the heart is pumping several quarts of blood through the body every day? How about week 15 when the baby has an adult's taste buds? How about month four when the bone marrow is beginning to form? How about that? Or how about, the, how about weeks nine and 10 when the baby's teeth are already beginning to form? Its fingernails are already beginning to develop. We're talking about two months old, right? The baby can turn the head and frown. The baby can hiccup. Is that okay to kill? How about week four? By the end of the week four, the, the kid is already 10,000 times larger than the fertilized eggs was. There's already the beginnings of eyes and legs and hands. There are already brain waves detectable. Mouth and lips are present. Fingernails are forming. How about week three? By the end of the third week, the kid's backbone and spinal column and nervous system are forming. The liver and kidneys and intestines are beginning to take shape. How about day 22? The heart's already beating with the child's blood, which may be of a different blood type than the mother. So where in here exactly do you think it's okay to murder that kid because you have a personal convenience issue? Where do you think that you're right? And I love, I love the glowing way she presents this. Here I am. I can't be a bad woman because I'm pregnant. I can't hate babies. I mean, here I am. I'm pregnant. Well, if you don't hate babies or if, you, if you're not interested in killing them, then why are you in favor of people being allowed to kill them? Okay, this is not a matter of a woman's right to choose. A slave owner didn't get to choose to hold slaves. Nazis didn't get to decide which Jews got to live. And don't give me the it's legal, therefore it's okay. Lots of things were legal. Lots of things in human history have been legal that were totally evil. Okay, it is evil to suggest, as Hillary Clinton does, that the minute before a baby is born, you should be able to drag it by the feet out of the mother, except for the head, stick a scissors in there, ram it into the baby's skull, rip the skull open, suck the brains out, crushing it, and then pull it out. That's Hil that, that Hillary believes that that's something you should be allowed to do. When I talk about stuff I hate, this is a grave sin. It's a blot on the American Republic. It's a blot on the morality of the American people that we allow, that we treat the killing of unborn, the, the most, literally the most innocent among us, literally the most innocent among us, we, we treat the killing of, of these human beings as nothing more than just an issue of, of, of convenience and, and choice and, and all the rest of it. It's just no more euphemisms, no more euphemisms. And I wish to God that Mike Pence would have said that instead of citing to the Bible, okay? I haven't cited the Bible one time because I don't think that the Bible, I think the Bible is right, but I don't think the Bible is the important textbook here. I think what's important here is the science. And I think you're talking about the creation of a unique human life on day one, and you can see it, and you can see the growth. And if you're willing to point out to me where it is that this becomes a human as opposed to a ball of tissue, then let's hear it. Let's hear it. I've gotten tweets, by the way. I tweeted this out earlier, and somebody said, well, the brainwaves only start at week 20. So how about that? You know, do you think that people who are brain dead are alive? Well, people who are brain dead don't turn into not brain dead three weeks later. Would you kill somebody in a coma because they're brain dead, but you know they're not going to be brain dead in four weeks, in ten weeks? Would you do that? Would you pull the plug on him, knowing for a full, full-on fact that if you just wait a few weeks, that person's going to be fully functional again? Would you do that? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's truly incredible to me the, the way that we can blind ourselves to this. I remember when I was at the, I was at the 2012 DNC, and, uh, and I, I went to, you know, it was in Charlotte, and I walked past an exhibit, and it was a picture, it was, it was the, the anti-abortion crowd, the pro-life crowd, and they were out there with, with these pictures of aborted babies, and I walked past, and I thought what most people from big cities thought. I thought, wow, how gauche, how gauche. I mean, those are ugly pictures. Should I really have to look at that in the public square? That's really ugly. And then I realized that that's probably how people 
treated pictures of slavery back in the 1850s. That's probably how people treated pictures of the Holocaust back in the 1940s. The bottom line is, if it's that ugly, maybe you should do something about it instead of whining about how ugly it is. And it's not a matter of personal choice. Okay, I have a stake in whether my neighbor gets murdered, and I have a stake in whether my neighbor's baby gets murdered too. But what about in rape and incest? Situations. Okay, so this is a okay. So yeah, here's the question. It's yes. I mean, this is a long conversation. And I'm enjoying it actually, which is why I'm allowing you to stay. But it's but, uh, but it's but the the question of, of rape and incest. First of all, important to note: rape and incest are not only a vast minority of, of abortion cases; they're an extraordinarily low percentage of abortion cases. So, if we can first stipulate that all the other abortions are bad, then we can talk about that other one. Can we do that? Are all the other abortions bad, or are those ones okay? And you're just using this as an excuse to make the other ones okay. They're all okay. Ah, good. Someone who's honest. So, who's the honest fellow? Who's, who's, okay, yay, honest people. Good. I like the honesty. Okay, so all abortions are okay. So, does the, so, the, so oh, a sign that I can't read because it has lots of words on it. Okay, so, I have one question for you and one question only on abortion. Does the vagina, the, the vaginal canal, magically confer personhood? Answer, does the vagina magically confer personhood? Yeah, raised hands are okay. You, sir. No, the first breath does. The first breath confers personhood. Okay, so if the baby is in the womb and is exactly the same size and has not yet breathed and you take a knife and you stab the baby in the head, a fully formed nine-month-old baby, it is not a human. The only thing that makes it a human is when it takes a breath. It has to independently breathe. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to stick to it, yeah, because I'm also pro-capital punishment and pro-selective suicide. So I'm going to stick with it. Selective suicide? Yeah, I, assume you, I assume you mean elective suicide. I mean elective, elective suicide. suicide. Okay. Yes, I'm not going to make someone commit suicide. Right? Okay, that's good, because that wouldn't be suicide, that'd be homicide. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, that, that, by the way, I'm for capital punishment too, because people who kill people should be killed. But babies who have not killed people should not. And this is my basic position on abortion. So let me just, so, but I'll get your answer, because you're the one who asked the question. Are you willing to stipulate that all the other abortions are bad? Just rape and incest bother you? I mean, no, I believe a woman should have the right to Got it. So it's an excuse, right? So it's an excuse so that we can say that, uh, so that we can, we can take the marginal case and then say that the marginal case applies to all cases. Okay, that's, that's, again, faulty thinking. But if you want me to answer specifically on rape and incest, here is my basic answer. Rapists should be castrated or killed. You shouldn't kill babies. End of story. But are they ever castrated and killed? Most rapists don't even get convicted. I agree. And that's usually the left side of the aisle because the left side wants to let them out after five years in prison. I want them castrated or killed. I'm telling you what my belief is. My belief is not public policy at the moment. But I think, would you agree with me on that one? Can we at least get a little agreement to finish this particular parlay? Okay, you, should rapists be castrated or killed? Well, yes. Okay, good, yeah, okay, we agree, thanks. Thank you for tuning in to The Daily Wire, one of the fastest growing conservative media outlets in the country. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to give it a like and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss out on any of our content.